Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Good morning, church. How are we this morning? So good. A little birdie, Tommy, it's Mia's birthday today. (laughs) Happy birthday, Mia. So good to have you in the house. She gave her life to the Lord last week, and it's so beautiful. I think we should give her another hand. Um, Such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing you could ever do. So glad. Happy birthday. Happy anointed birthday. Uh, My husband is away, as you may have heard from Leon, and um, he's in Philippines with our fourth son, Ezekiel, and they're back tomorrow, so he's pumped to tell us what's happening next Sunday. He'll let us know what happened in the Philippines, and he's so excited, and he's saying, oh, hon, you got to see Ezekiel, who's our 15-year-old. He's praying for people. He's just going for it, and it just blesses my heart to see him right in the middle of it, activated. Amen. And if you can make it tonight, our second son, Josiah, is going to preach tonight. And he's such an evangelist. He's a fiery preacher. And yeah, they're all amazing. And I'm so blessed as a mama bear to have five incredible kids who love Jesus and who wants to preach the glorious gospel. Amen. Awesome. Do you know that we are 51 days away from 2020? Give or take. 51 days. Um, it's the end of a decade and a start of a new decade. What you and I do in this decade will count into the future. I want to encourage this morning that we are to finish strong. uh, We we have entered a new season. And I feel like the Father is saying, I want you to encourage my sons and my daughters to finish strong. Not just, oh, just making it by the skin of our teeth, but finishing strong. Amen? So... Last Sunday, we had Tony Rainbow, and he used an analogy, and he said, let's have an oven talk. Do you remember that? And then he unpacked the subject on hurt, right? He unpacked the subject on hurt. This morning, I want to have an oven talk with you because we are family. We love one another, and we want to help one another, and we want to share some thoughts so we can help one another avoid pitfalls. So the oven talk, as Tony explained it, is a conversation you have with your family to show them how hot an oven can get. You're not saying don't touch the oven. You're just saying, uh, you know, the hot oven has the potential to burn if you handle it incorrectly. So this morning, I want to have an oven talk with you. And the oven talk I want to have with you is something you all experienced. You've all enjoyed it. And it is on crisis crisis. I know we have all been through it, but what should we do in a time of crisis? What should you and I do in a time of crisis? Because if you and I do not know what to do in a time of crisis, let me tell you, it has the potential to burn us and derail us and take us off track and away from the things of God. Crisis is defined this way. 
a time of great disagreement, confusion, or suffering. It also can be an emotionally significant event or a radical change of status in a person's life. It is also defined as an unstable or a crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. Now, no matter how spiritual we are or we're not, there may come a time when the storms of life may fill our horizon, darkening our view of our destination, making us wonder if we will ever survive the howling winds and the thunderous storms that's beating up against our life. The question this morning is not whether or not we'll survive it, but how would we respond to it? How we respond to it will determine where we end up. Correct? I believe if we respond wisely, we can find opportunity in the midst of the crisis. Here's a newsflash. <laughs> Don't say it to yourself this morning, but I'm not going through a crisis. But somebody next to you might be going some through a crisis. The news flash is we've gone through crisis one time or another. It could be about finances. It could be about kids. It could be about our marriage. It could be about menopause. <laughs> Just had to throw it out there. It could be about absolutely anything, right? Crisis. It can be absolutely about anything. I do not like dislike. If I, if I could use the word hate, I would use it. I don't think anyone in this room wakes up in the morning and say, good morning, crisis. I welcome you into the room. Come have a seat at my table. Could I make you a cup of coffee? Would you do that? I don't think so. I don't think any of us would do that. I've noticed crises often come when we least expect it. And it has the ability to greatly affect the way we function. In my walk with God, I've endured many crises along the way, some major and some minor, and some of it has, some of the crises have crushed me physically and emotionally because I haven't allowed the Word of God to fully engage in my crisis. And I'm just being vulnerable here. I am not saying I have it all together, but I can honestly say that there are times in my life that have come undone. We all know that if you allow emotions to take control, it clouds our perspective and then our decision-making process becomes very, very blurred. We decide if our crisis will propel us or paralyze us. And it all depends how we process our crisis. I mean, I remember almost six years ago when our second son was diagnosed with Crohn's. And it was the most yuckiest thing a mother could ever hear when the, the doctor said this is a lifelong disease and our second son was going to have to endure it for the rest of his life. Honestly, as a mother, I can tell you that initially how I handled that crisis was not one for the testimony books. I came crashing down and I wasn't a good testimony. But later on, I pressed into God and I asked God to navigate us in and through that crisis because I wanted his prescription for that crisis. I wanted to see what God had said about that crisis because I wanted to see healing and breakthrough in his life. And guess what? We saw healing and breakthrough in our son's life. 
Amen. The reason we don't view crisis correctly is firstly because we don't know what God has said about our crisis, correct? Secondly, because we may not know how to dig wells to find comfort and navigation in the time of crisis. That's why coming to church is so important. Going to connect groups is so important, and I'm going to expand on that a bit later, but it is so important that we know in the time of crisis to be next to one another who can strengthen us and show us what to do. Sometimes it's hard to avoid crisis. And during this time, we need to ask, God, what is it that you would have me do in the midst of this crisis? Because if we don't fight, go through and walk to the other side of the crisis, then we lose our inheritance. On the other side of our crisis lies our inheritance. Amen? So this morning, we are going to look at a new story. I don't know. I want to put some new stories into your spiritual bank account this morning. And I know you've heard many stories about David and Goliath and other stuff, but I'm going to introduce a new story this morning. And in this new story, we all know that character is revealed in crisis, not made in crisis, right? We're going to see how character, true character, handles crisis. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, your iPads, your notepads, just take them out or your phones. You can take snapshots off the um, scriptures we're about to go through. The story I'm about to chat to you about is in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, right? But this story is also mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19 and 2 Chronicles chapter 32. But don't be afraid, we're not going to go through all of that. It's a lot of scripture to go through. But it's extremely important when God gives the exact same story in different passages, we need to pay attention. He's wanting us to learn a few lessons in and through this story. This story has to do with a very powerful king. I'm going to put that slide up. Very powerful king, a pagan king from Azria named Sennacherib, the one in the black and white. And in the color is a godly king named King Hezekiah. Now, chapter 36, let me say, chapter 36 gives us insight into the crisis that King Hezekiah was facing. And chapter 37 gives us insight into the steps Hezekiah took in order to combat his crisis. I don't know about you, Leo always says, we need to understand um, the darkness in order to appreciate the light. We need to understand uh, what we've been redeemed out of in order to be thankful. So I need to go through chapter 36 with you before I give you the steps Hezekiah took in chapter 37. Amen? So what was the crisis King Hezekiah was facing? Well, that bad king, Sennacherib, was threatening King Hezekiah's government. He was wanting to persecute them, ridicule them, mock them, and literally make them stop trusting in their king and their God. They basically, the bad king had come into the land called Jerusalem. And he's saying, do you understand that we have captured so much, so many lands along you know, along the way, and now they're standing in the door of Jerusalem and they're, you know, threatening the same fate, basically, to King Hezekiah. 
He's saying to the people of Hezekiah, don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to the God he worshiped. It's like somebody coming through those doors and saying, do not listen to Leah and his leadership team. That's what, that was what was happening right here. We discover in chapter 36 and 37, it's a classic setup between a ruthless bully and God's faithful servant. Classic setup. What we need to understand is David and Goliath. Goliath was a classic bully. He was taunting the people of God for 40 days, morning and evening, mocking them, challenging them, taunting them, saying, who will come out and fight for me? Maybe there's a Goliath in your life that's taunting you, mocking you, ridiculing you, challenging you. Maybe not physically, but internally. Maybe there's somebody outright saying, is God really going to come through for you in this uh, crisis? Can God really, um, you know, help you uh, through this financial struggle? Is he really your strength and your shield and your fortress and your deliverer? We need to be aware of those voices. We need to be aware of who is speaking into our lives. Don't you agree? We just can't let anybody speak into us because it will make make us come undone. Seriously. We just need to be aware that those voices are not of God. Amen. Don't get caught up in a web of lies. Now, Isaiah chapter 36 verses 2 through to 10 is a historical event that illustrates what happens in our lives when other voices are tempting us to second guess God's commitment to us. So we're going to read verse 4. This is what it says. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Azaria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours The message version says it this way. What kind of a backing do you think you have against me, Leon, Sal, Tony? What what kind of a backing do you think you have? What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Now, this passage is so important because there's an underlying message there and the message of trust. The message of trust. All through chapter 36 and 37, this bad king and his general were plaguing the people of God and undermining God's faithfulness to their people. That's exactly what the enemy is going to do in our lives. He's going to make us question our leadership. He's going to make us question uh, even uh, your relationship between your parents, your family members, your sphere of influence. He's going to want to cause trust issues, and especially with God. And if he does that, we are on unstable ground if we have trust issues. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always trusts. But I guess we found out in life that not everyone can be trusted, right? More than likely, our trust have been broken or we have broken trust with others. But it doesn't mean to say that we stop trusting. The Father is saying, let, it, let my healing virtue reign in you to bring healing so you can move forward in trust. Let me rebuild the foundations of trust where it was once broken. 
God is wanting to rebuild trust. Let me tell you, trust is such a significant issue between you and the Father. Because if you don't trust your Heavenly Father, you will second guess every uh, thing He does for your life. You'll be second guessing Him. Isaiah chapter 36 verse 5 says, The general continued to threaten them with his speech. Because Isaiah chapter 36 was an entire speech of uh, uh, things that this bad general was threatening King Hezekiah's government. He said, do you think your mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you rebel against me? That's how the enemy talks to you sometimes. Look, I know you're depending on Egypt. The general was boldly announcing to King Hezekiah's government, King Hezekiah's confidence is foolish. And and the fact that I heard King Hezekiah is trying to get Egypt onto your side so you can fight against me. But guess what? Your army is no match for me. How many times has the enemy has said, your tactics are no match for me? The general goes on to harass the people of God even more. Uh, in verse 7, it says, we are depending on the But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he whose high places, the altars, Hezekiah has removed? Now the general, I mean, it might seem all of the place, so I want to encourage you to go read chapter 36 in context and chapter 37. Basically, this bad king had sent out his general to threaten the leadership team of King Hezekiah's government. And he was threatening and he was uh, persecuting them and bringing false accusation. And this accusation, he was basically saying that Hezekiah, even though you think he is godly, he is anti-God. Look at him. He's burned down the altars. You know, he's taken down all the altars away. I mean, are you saying that he loves me and he's a good leader? We need to, in order to understand this accusation, we need to go read 2 Kings chapter 18. And let's pause for a moment because that was a lot to digest in the first few minutes. Let's have an intermission. Who loves chocolate cake? (laughs) There we go. That's intermission. I don't have chocolate cake to give you, but here we go. If you were given the option between a one-layer chocolate cake and a multiple-layer chocolate cake, I guess you would go for the multiple layer chocolate cake, right? Because the experience is a lot better. So, 2 Kings 18 has multiple layers to the exact story that we're reading. We cannot read portions of the scripture in the Bible and think that's it. We need to read the Bible for the entirety of the whole story. Amen? So, 2 Kings 18 gives us two to three layers of ganache to this chocolate cake if I could say it. This is what it says. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestors David had done. He had removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had, had been offering sacrifices to it. Clearly, you can see the accusation brought up against, by the enemy against Hezekiah was untrue. Correct? Because he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He did what was pleasing. Even though in the natural, it may look true. Oh my gosh, what has Hezekiah done? Sometimes when an accusation against a leader looks so real. 
but you have no depth to it, please don't make judgment on it. You need to go in and have a look at the entirety of the whole picture. Amen? You know what he did? If we go back to Isaiah chapter 36, you know what he did? He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. You know what happened? You know why he burned down those places? Because people had erected images and now started worshipping images, which was a violation of the second commandment. And he wanted to burn it down because God never asked us to worship an image. God deserves true worship, not to an image. He deserves authentic worship. So Hezekiah wanted to purify his people and wanted to consecrate his worship back to God. So the general got wind of it and he started to push the buttons of the people even further. And in verse 8 through to 10, which we're not going to read, he started saying, you don't even have the manpower to fight me. If I were to give you 2,000 horses, how are you going uh, to put people on them? You don't even have them. You know, you don't have enough of men to put on those horses. Plus, it says at the bottom of that verse, he says that, plus your God had told me to come and destroy it, destroy the place. Look at the lie and the deception. God never told them to go destroy Hezekiah or that city. There are daily pressures in life for us not taking God at his word. There are daily pressures to strike a bargain for a quick fix. There are daily pressures that poison our thought pattern that uh, is saying that God is not our help, that God is not our resource, that God is not our refuge. Daily, our faith is uh, challenged and tested. I mean, if I were to say, close your eyes, have a think about a crisis you're going through. It can be major or minor. You can see the tactics of the enemy and how he's challenging your thought life. It is massive. The, the commander was saying, how could you have such faith in a God who has asked me to burn down your city? What is the basis of your faith? Your faith is irrational and unfounded. The accusation kept on getting bigger and larger and larger and the crisis became bigger and bigger and bigger. And we go on to see that Hezekiah's general got so, uh, the, the leadership team, it's like Leon, Sal, and uh, Tony got so overwhelmed and said, hang on, hang on to the wicked general. And, and, and he started, they started saying, stop speaking to us in Hebrew because people can understand. Could you speak to us in Aramaic? You know why? Because Aramaic was the diplomatic language of the time. And they didn't want the people hearing the conversation that was taking place, this threatening speech that was taking place by the enemy to the people of God. And guess what? The general kept on speaking because he had ulterior motives. He wanted to strike fear in the hearts of people. Have you noticed when the enemy speaks, he speaks in plain English. He doesn't complicate it. He doesn't say all this fancy language. He speaks to you in terms you can understand. The general continued to threaten the people of God and say, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not deliver you. That's in verse 14. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Verse 15. Do not listen to Hezekiah and stay in the city. Verse 16. If you abide by these three rules, guess what? My king will take care of you and you will eat the good of the land. Sometimes 
A quick fix is enticing, right? But don't be the bait of Satan. Don't be the fishy that wants to gratify temporary hunger so he just wiggles and wiggles and sees the worm dangling on the hook and eats it and then guess what? Ends up on a plate. Don't be the bait of Satan. Quick fixes are never, never the solution. It might be internally you might find peace, but it's never the right thing to do. These people... Hezekiah's leadership team, Sal, Leon, uh, uh, Tony, were tempted to give in to the offer. They were. They were tempted because in verse 27 in 2 Kings says that if they didn't, the whole city would be under siege. They will go hungry and thirsty. They will drink their own urine, sorry, and eat their own dung. That was what was said to them. How crazy is that? Life can be complicated. I have to use analogies you can understand. So you know these guys, so I can use them. Life can get complicated, right? Life can get interruptive. Uh, Sometimes you're smooth sailing and all of a sudden it's like this ball that's hit against you and it knocks you off your horse, so to speak. But the scripture says, having done all to stand, stand firmly with the breastplate of righteousness with your feet shuttered with the gospel of the preparation of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Why is that? Why has He equipped us with those kind of things? So we can protect our vital organs while going through a crisis, right? So we come to, finally we come to the end of chapter 36, and this is what's recorded. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply, because the king... Hezekiah had commanded, do not answer him. We should never answer our enemy unless instructed by the Lord. Let me give you advice. Never answer your enemy unless you're instructed by the Lord. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, the palace administrator, Sheba, the secretary, and Joash, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. What did Hezekiah do? Did he go, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Did he freak out? Did he come undone? Did he cry? Did he weep? It's like, what did Leo do? I can tell you what Leo always does. He goes and prays, gets on his knees. But I'm telling you, what did Hezekiah do? Well, we are going to go into chapter 37. Do I still have your attention? We're going to go into chapter 37. Here are four steps. That will unlock our crisis. Step one, Hezekiah went in to the house of God. It's in Isaiah chapter 37 verse 1. It says, when Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, put on the burlap, which is sackcloth, and went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, one thing. Do not tear your clothes off and run into the house of God. Keep your clothes on. It's very, very important. But you need to run into the house of God. Amen? Crisis can either drive us away from the house of God or drive us into the house of God. But you and I need to decide that. I pray to God this morning that in the midst of your crisis, that it drives you into the house of God. Let me give you three important things under step one, why we should go into the house of God. A, 
if you have point one, A is God said so. It's in Hebrews 24, 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. God is saying some people neglect coming into the house of God. But I'm telling you, do not neglect it. I need you to come into the house of God. Do you know there's a popular media catchphrase that says you don't go to church, you are the church? While I get that sentiment, in some ways it's a very, very unhealthy view. Pitting, uh, being the church and going to church against one another is so wrong. Christianity was never meant to be singularity. It's plurality. The biblical metaphor for the church, let me show you, it's plurality. We are a body a flock, a building, a holy nation. There's no lone rangers. God has called us to be a body, a flock. Amen. If we love Jesus, we will do the things that he loves, which means coming into the house of God. Point B under step one, we are called to worship Jesus together. Worshipping Jesus together is one of the most singular, most best thing you could ever do. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. He's not only, he not only lives in us by the Spirit, but he's in the midst of us, he says, according to this scripture. Point C under point one. <laughs> Sorry. We need Christian community. It's so easy to watch a sermon on TV or listen to a podcast. But I heard uh, uh, this incredible thought by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. He says, do not reduce church to listening to a podcast. It's so much more than that. It's community. It's worship, uh, worshiping together, praying for others, hurting with others, serving with one another, being involved in each other's lives. Going to church and connect group stops us from spiritually going backwards, whether you know it or not. Stops us from drifting. We need the support of one another. I want to bring to you Hebrews 24 and 25 again. It is so important that we abide by his instructions. Amen. Because 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says that it edifies and builds the church together when we come together. That's what we're meant to do. We're not coming for ourselves. We're there for one another. This is what family is all about. You are my family. I don't, think, honest to God, I don't see this as, oh, it's something I have to do. This is my family. I live, I love, I cry, I weep, I laugh. And my kids have grown up under every single person's eye in the life of this church. Step two, Hezekiah prayed before God. Immediately, it says, he went into the altar, spread out this threatening letter, and he started praying. How many of us during crisis do we pick up a phone or do we go to him in prayer? It's simple as that. Our strongest position during a crisis is on our knees, but usually this is not where we first go. When we look at the life of Jesus, he was always in the habit of going to the Father, no matter how good or bad the situation was. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary uh, place where he prayed. 
Prayer is our greatest weapon. Church, if you heard nothing else, prayer is your greatest weapon. It can demolish strongholds. It can demolish every argument, every crisis. It is the greatest thing you and I can ever do. And it's the key to the heart of God. And that's why it says in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Let's do that. That's how we are to approach God. Step three, Hezekiah sought wise counsel. That's in verse two of chapter 37. No person is about above counsel. No pastor, no leader, no president, no CEO is above counsel. Let me tell you that. Proverbs says, uh, you know, if we lean onto our own understanding, we come undone. If we lean to our own knowledge, we come undone. We cannot lean to our own wisdom because we don't have wisdom. Who gives us wisdom? God gives us wisdom. So godly counsel is important. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen well to wise counsel and be willing to learn from correction. So that by the end of your life, you'll be known for your wisdom. You don't talk to somebody about your marriage if they've been through their third or fourth marriage. You don't talk to somebody about finances if they've been back bankrupt three or four times. You go to somebody God has called you to go to. Amen. Step four, Hezekiah got a word from God. And this word is so massive that it's from verse 21 to 29. It's the most biggest word you can read, and it's twofold. Why is it twofold? I'll read you verse 21. It says, because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Azria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. Can I tell you, you don't seek your own judgment. Let God seek judgment for you. Scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let me tell you, this mighty power, this Azrian power, King Sennacherib, and this bad general, God just decreed a very, very harsh judgment on, uh, on that king. And then we go on to see in verse 30 to 35, 35 how God encourages Hezekiah for seeking God first. In good times and in bad times, we need to go to God's word because God's word is sustenance for you and I. Not somebody else's word. God's word is sustenance for us. Luke 4, 4 says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I are sustained by everything that comes out from the mouth of God. If you call yourself his disciples, John 8, 31 to 32 says, If you abide in my word, and you are my, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let's immerse ourselves in the word of God. Immerse it, because the, the, the answer you're seeking will pop up as you need it. You know, Psalms 1 it says, you know, they that are planted will bear fruit in every season. When your season of Christ is at hand, you will bear fruit. Hezekiah went into the house of God. Hezekiah prayed before God. Hezekiah sought wise counsel from the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah got a word from God. This army was undefeated, undisputed champions of the world. But guess what? 
God has his last word. He, I mean, let's read verse 36. It says, That night the angel of the Lord went out to the Azrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers. Not 100, 185. An angel was dispatched and killed 185,000 soldiers. We got to believe that our God is a God of the impossible. He has dispatched angels concerning you. Do you believe that? Right now, even as I'm speaking, whatever your crisis is, he has dispatched angels concerning you and I. Jesus had angels minister to him at key moments of his life. You know, we see him in the garden of Gethsemane and we see an angel appear to him in Luke 22, 43 and strengthens Jesus. Then later on when Jesus was arrested and Peter drew a sword and Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I can pray to my father at once? He would send me more than 70,000 angels. Jesus didn't, wasn't afraid of the cross. He wasn't afraid of the crisis that was at hand. He walked into the cross knowing that his father was with him. Hezekiah's entire army was destroyed. And that night as, uh, sorry, Hezekiah's, um, the pagan king's army was fully destroyed. And that night as that pagan king was worshipping his God, he was killed by his own son. That's the judgment of God. I want to say this, Hezekiah, sometimes when we go through a crisis, we need to get real with God. We need to just lay everything before the altar. In Isaiah 37, 17 through to 20, Isaiah, I mean, Hezekiah said everything to God. Every anxious thought he laid out before God and God saw it. Abraham and Sarah in Romans uh, 19.22. She knew she couldn't bear a child, but she didn't weaken in her faith. Faith does not deny the fact that you have a crisis, but it looks up. Because it says in Psalm 121, 1 through to 2, My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. When Jesus fed the 5,000, what did he do? He looked up. Jacob wrestled with an angel until he got a blessing. Are you going to wrestle with God through your crisis till you get breakthrough? You should. Sometimes we don't deposit enough into our spiritual bank account so we can't withdraw it when we need to. Have you ever been to a teller machine? And then you try to withdraw some funds out and the machine says insufficient funds. So, but seriously, you know, when we go to our spiritual teller machines, does it say insufficient funds? You have nothing to withdraw? Let's build up a deposit. When things are good, go to the house of God. When things are good, pray. When things are good, read the word of God. When things are good, spend time with wise people. Could we stand to our feet, please?
I wanted to rush through that story, chapter 36, going into 37, so you understood that in order to understand 37, we need to understand 36. Meaning, every person in the Bible had a crisis. But how they worked out that crisis is so very, very important for us to understand. Could we bow our heads for a moment, for a minute right now? I feel like the Father said to me this morning as I was praying early in the morning, He said that you are in a new season, but it doesn't mean to say that you're not going to have to fight some Goliaths. Even in your new season, you're going to have to fight some Goliaths and don't be afraid. Tell my people not to be afraid because I've equipped them. I have equipped them. We're a family. So these Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and connect groups are equipping times to empower you, to give you handles and tools. So I just, while all eyes are closed, all eyes, please, all eyes are closed. If you're going through a crisis right now, whatever it might be, it could be addiction, it could be finances, it could be marriage, it could be your kids. If you're going through right now, God is wanting to do major heart surgery before we launch into 2020. So right now, would you raise up your hands where only the Father can see you? And would you, can we do business? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your honesty and transparency. I feel like right now your shackle has been undone. The coat of heaviness has been stripped away right now. Thank you. Father, right now. Right now. Jesus, I myself uh, is raising my hand, Lord God. And I want to say... Would you come do a work in us this morning? We do not want to launch into 2020 having baggage from our past, disappointment, hurt. Father, I pray, I, do, I don't want it to immobile, I don't want it to handicap us, Father, going into the future and everything you have for us into the future. I pray that right now, even as I'm praying, Lord God, I thank you for resurrection life coming and permeating every single person here right now. Father, let there be radical breakthrough, Lord God. Radical breakthrough. Whatever they're trusting God for, let there be radical breakthrough. Father, right now, even as I am praying at the sound of my voice, I thank you that angels are being dispatched and assigned to every single person. Right now, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God, that you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You are our healer. You're our rock. You're our shelter. You are our deliverer. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your Shekinah glory breaking into our crisis and redeeming us from the darkness into the life. We say enough to the enemy for paralyzing us. No more. You have no hold. You have no weight whatsoever in the name of Jesus. We are walking into 2020 with freedom, deliverance, joy, hope, faithfulness, knowing that you, God, are for 
us and not against us, Lord God. Father, we thank you for the anointing of God, anointing of God, saturating every single person here this morning, Lord God. And even as we begin to worship, I pray that let there be a melting, melting away and dissolving of conflicts, relational issues, unhealthy conversations being dissolved. Father, right now, come have your way. I know you've heard us because we're your children and we thank you for it. And we are going to see breakthrough immediately because you are our Father. We thank you for it. We come to you in prayer and thanksgiving and making our requests known. Jesus, we love you. We adore you. And if, if we place other things as idols, I pray that we will rehone our worship back to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.